the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday program. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. Whatever's on your heart, whatever's going on in your life, we'll do the best we can to give you some direction. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. That's 340 340- 9585. You can also call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. You can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send them in that way as well. If you're driving in your car, the safest way is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now button. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. It's really quiet around here. All of our ladies are gone. The retreat, I'm told, is going great. Uh, But we'd ask you to keep praying. Tonight is sort of the crescendo with the teaching and the afterglow, and we just know God's doing a neat thing. But uh, I personally would appreciate any prayers, but everything has been closed here. I've been here all day by myself, so we got a lot of work done. Um, and it's been quiet. Now I'm ready for some noise. So we love your live phone calls. There is no church, and this is just for everybody listening. Uh, we normally will have our Friday night church services, but with all of our ladies gone, we're not having church here tonight. Uh, we will be having our normal three services on Sunday. All the ladies will be back. It's always a really, really great time. So no church here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio tonight or at calvarysa.com. Well, let me get to right to questions. We've got some things going on here. Um, let's first go to San Marcos, Texas, and talk with Bobby on line one. Bobby, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi. Hi, Bobby. Hello. Yeah, I just was watching. I was looking at this website called Apostasy Watch, and there had an article about Rick Warren and the Catholic Church. My God, I, you really think this guy is a, a man of God? Ain't no way, man. Read about it. Go, go to Apostasy okay, Bobby, Watch. Bo- check it out. Bobby, you, you call. We're going to cut you loose. You call and you keep changing your name to get past the screener. You make accusations. Uh, you probably ought to do some research on your own. Your soul depends on this, Bobby. See, I don't think you understand. To to accuse unjustly, unfairly accuse God's people of the things that you continually call in and accuse Rick Warren of, just because you read these rags on the Internet, Apostasy Watch, uh, Bobby, you need to fear the Lord. And and I'm going to ask you just not to call anymore, Bobby. Unfortunately, you have worn out your welcome here on the program. You know, those things always trouble me, and I... I'll take any question that's honest, but for all of you in the listening audience, uh, I won't let unfounded accusations and um, dishonest people, people that keep changing their names. Bobby's a new one for him, but he's had 10, 12 names he keeps trying to get in. Um, You know, the one thing that shouldn't happen with those of us who name the name of Jesus Christ 
is that we are spreaders of lies, that we're engaged in gossip. And you know it's gossip, you know there's no fruit of the Spirit because there's no love. It's only judgment. Um, I've told on this program before, I know Rick Warren, I know he is a believer, I know he loves God, he doesn't do things the way I would do them. Then again, his church has 20,000 people in it and mine doesn't. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm suggesting that 20,000 is a sign of God's blessing. Uh, all I'm suggesting is that this is a man who really knows the Lord. And in conversations with Rick, I can I can tell you he is mystified at why there would be anybody who doesn't think he is a believer. Is he different doctrinally than a lot of people? Yeah. But where it comes to the essentials of our faith, I can tell you that Rick Warren is a believer in Jesus Christ, and God has used him in unbelievable ways. So for you, Bobby, you're, 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 you're throwing stones at someone that God has chosen and is using. 340-9585, terrible. The phones have been a little bit quiet all week this week, and then that's the phone call that we get to start the program today. Here is a question that came in from... Let me find the radio program. There it is. This one comes from our email inbox from Caleb. And his question is, does Revelation chapter 13, verses 3 and 4, indicate an assassination attempt on the Antichrist? And in parentheses, Caleb has a reference to uh, Zechariah chapter 11, verse 17. Um, let me read the passage of Scripture, and then we'll we'll get to it. Revelation chapter 13, verse 3 says, One of the heads of the beast seems to have had, uh, seems to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast and worshipped the dragon because he had been given authority to the beast, or because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make a war against him? Um, you know, the idea here that there's assassination attempt is is seemingly, uh, seemingly, Caleb, the best explanation. Um, you know, the, the, the devil has always been a counterfeiter. And um, remember, he has enormous spiritual power, supernatural power. It's not good power, of course, but, but it's supernatural power nonetheless. And he's always mimicked. He has his own unholy trinity uh, in, in the last days. Uh, there's the devil, the antichrist, and the false prophet. Um, he, he is going to try, at least most believe Revelation 13 is saying, uh, he's going to raise from the dead, and that'll be sort of the final uh, thing that will make people believe and accept him as 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 God, really, as the power from from heaven, sort of a uh, a late picture of Simon the sorcerer, who he thought he was. The the problem was he had everybody tricked. The the devil will actually do these things, and this man, the Antichrist, I apparently is going to have a, a, a head wound that that is fatal. Um, and then he is going to raise from the dead, and and uh, the whole world is going to be absolutely convinced. So, uh, I think that's the case. Uh, there are some who who take that verse to mean that um, this is the revised Roman Empire, uh, one of the heads of the beast. The, the revised Roman Empire uh, never really was defeated militarily; it just sort of fizzled out of power. Uh, after centuries in in control of of the what what was of the time the known world um, that this revived Roman Empire is going to come to life, and we know that's going to be the case in the end days so uh, i I tend to favor Caleb the idea that that there's going to be an assassination attempt it's going to be successful, and he is by the power of um all that's evil, he's going to be raised from the dead. Uh, the one thing that I want to talk about, I, and I love the fact that you um, mentioned the Zechariah um, passage of Scripture, um, because um, um, it, Zechariah, for my money, is the single most difficult book in all of Scripture to interpret. Uh, and and these these prophecies are so detailed and so extraordinary. And the commentaries are all over the place on them. But 
um, throughout the centuries, from the time our Bibles have been written, um, prophecies, especially this one in Zechariah, uh, has had many partial fulfillments. Uh, Herod, of course, was a foolish shepherd from verse 15 of that chapter. Um, Pilate, uh, and along with those he served, were foolish shepherds, both religious and political shepherds are in view here. Uh, even in our day, in the church age, there have been many foolish shepherds. But this, in the verses in 16 and 17 that you um, asked about, uh, I also believe, uh, Caleb, that it'll find its ultimate fulfillment in the man that we know as Antichrist. I'm going to read those passages. Just, It's so interesting. Um, Zechariah's prophecy says, For I'm going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost, or seek the young, or heal the injured, or feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hoofs. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm be completely withered, his right eye totally blinded. Now, Caleb, I don't think in verse 17 um, in this Zechariah passage, I don't think personally that, that verse 17 is a reference to the assassination attempt. Uh, I, I think it's just sort of a, a picture of what's going to happen uh, prophetically to all of these false um, shepherds who, who instead of, of uh, loving the flock of God and feeding the flock of God uh, is only intending to devour the flock of God. Um, this is a, a, a solemn word to everyone who's been called into pastoral ministry. You know, when I look at Zechariah, this, this passage of Scripture, I'm reminded of my total obligation to God to do my very best to represent Jesus to the people that he's given me, to love them, to pray for them, to teach them, to be patient with them. You see, I'm not the pastor of Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Jesus is the capital P pastor. And he gets sort of to lend the people here at Calvary Chapel to me. And I want to be found doing the best I can to care for the lost and to seek the young and to heal those who are hurting. That's my job. Now the same responsibility goes to every husband and father that was given a pastoral style ministry in their homes. You've got a flock and what you need to do is understand just how serious God takes that responsibility. Caleb, great question and good insight, by the way, on that Zechariah passage. 340-9585. Let's go to Lavernia, Texas and speak with Bill on line one. Bill, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Good afternoon. Thank you, Bill. I, I had a, I had some insight uh, from this is the word according to Bill, not the word according to God, but hopefully it, it, it uh, sink in with people. I try to encourage people whenever they're slamming these other pastors to the point where we do a tremendous disservice to the outsiders looking in, seeing us Christians not even getting along. And I try to encourage them to remember that all pastors are held to a higher standard, uh, regardless of a lot of what they're doing is still bringing people to Christ. But the bottom line is that we as uh, maturing Christians have the right to listen to what any pastor is saying against what the Word of God is saying to make sure that it's true, right, and from the Word of God, inspired by that. And so I just try to encourage people in that manner to remember, whoever it is, they think if they're doing wrong, that's that's between them and God when they get to that point. And yeah, but don't don't do a disservice to the rest of them that are out there. Just keep it, uh, take the high road, so to speak. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I just thought I'd uh, pass that on. That's how I try to encourage people to look at these guys that are that are possibly bringing false doctrine, but they, I've seen a lot of them still bringing a lot of what the good doctrine is and still getting people saved, but I just, I think we shuck our responsibilities to the promises that are in God's Bible. All the promises that it really I see that I read, especially like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, people stop there and they don't ever read 13 and 14, <laughs> which is our responsibility <laughs> to make that happen. And, and Great so point. I would try to encourage that as well. You know, God don't need help, but he does require our participation or our obedience. So I'll drop sure it off does. there and see what you think for the encouragement, Pastor Ron. 
Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. And the word from Bill today was pretty good. When it's not the word of God, but it is the word uh, from Bill. It's a, a word of exhortation to all of us. You know, there's always. A, 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 I talk a lot on this program about balance, and 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 the balance. Um, you know, God is very hard on false teachers, um, but a false teacher, by definition, is someone who's out to devour the flock. A false teacher, by definition, is someone who is wrongly dividing the Word of God. You know, Paul tells Timothy to be a workman, studying to show yourself approved, a workman rightly dividing the Word of God. And there are false teachers, the prosperity teachers, and and they have big churches, and they're very loud about their faith, about what God is doing through them. Uh, And their message is false. And and God's Word, uh, you talk about Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 23, if you want to, and 4, you really want to be terrified uh, about teaching uh, and and doing it with a godly heart and doing it um, um, correctly. God's Word is is, um, harsh when it comes to false teachers. Uh, And somebody who is deliberately teaching false doctrine uh, is is a false shepherd. It's that simple. They're not going to be in heaven. They're going to be judged, and they're going to, uh, according to Peter, Second uh, Peter, deepest, darkest blackness is reserved for them. On the other hand, it's not false doctrine because somebody disagrees with you on a point of theology. And that's what we've, in this Internet world, the social media world, that's what we, unfortunately, as Christians, have devolved into. You can you can Google Christian Discernment Ministries, and you've got a bunch of people, disgruntled people without love. Paul says in First Corinthians thirteen, they're just making noise, bringing attention to themselves, and they're disparaging good, godly people. Uh, I, I it couldn't be more clear about the things that Rick Warren teaches sometimes that. I disagree with, and I think, my goodness, I wish he wouldn't say that. But that doesn't make him a false teacher. He just disagrees with me. And then I'm going to set myself up as the standard of what's right and wrong. And then, of course, if I get to that place, I'm the one who's in sin. Well, then we've got to be able to recognize brothers in the Lord. And we live in the times when we are watching this apostasy, this great falling away that's predicted in the very last days. And it's hard to be able to tell, but, you know, Rick Warren's radio program is on this radio station. Um, his program also uh, is heard on, on KDRY, which is another Christian radio station here in town. And all you have to do is listen to him. If you can't hear that he loves the Lord then the problem's you, not him. And the fact that he disagrees or or you disagree with somebody does not ever give us the right to slam them. And Bill is right. It embarrasses us. It, it, It diminishes our witness in the world. Again, I, I, I deal on this program with questions about false teachers. And I'm always talking about what they teach, not about their heart because I can't know their heart and as Christians we've got to understand that's our responsibility we're to love we're to believe the best about people it's perfectly okay finding that balance between loving and speaking well of somebody and calling them a false teacher we've got to find that balance between the difference between what they're teaching that is wrong and there are many, many false teachers that are doing great damage to people's lives, and it breaks my heart. But Rick Warren's not one of them. He is a brother in the Lord, and I can't imagine how I would explain to Jesus that I said terrible things have been against somebody that I'm going to spend forever in heaven with. So, Bill, great word. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from, let's see, this is our next one, is from Drew from our email inbox. Uh, Pastor Ron, Joshua describes the sin of Achan, which resulted in God killing him and his family. Here's his question. Do you think his sin was an example of sin unto death? If Achan had repented, 
would his life had been spared? Why would God take the lives of his family because of his sin? Do you think Achan and his family will be in heaven? Lots of questions, Drew. Uh, Achan's sin was was more than what it appears on the surface. Now remember, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And Achan and his family, clearly his family was in on it. They were conspiring together to make sure that nobody knew what he'd done. But God told Israel not to touch any of the devoted things. Battle of Jericho was the first battle in the Promised Land, and all of the plunder belonged to the Lord. Not some of it, all of it. I often think about this whole concept of tithing. Well, I'll give God 10% of my, my money. Well, God says, no, the first fruits, it's all mine. And, and we know, reading our Bibles, that in the uh, seven or so years of the Promised Land campaign, there was lots and lots of plunder. They, they didn't do without anything. But the first fruits went to God. And the people of Israel agreed to it. And all of them, save one, kept their promise. Achan didn't. I don't think that we can use it as an example of sin unto death. Uh, that's a New Testament concept. This was judgment of God. I, I don't think there's any value in saying, had Achan repented, would his life have been spared? You see, the Lord says, if you take a human life, then your life will be required from you. And here's the real tragedy of Achan's sin, is there were people killed in the next battle in Ai because they went into the battle thinking they were okay. But there was this hidden sin, and there were a, there were a lot of people who lost their lives in that battle of Ai. And all of that blood was on Achan's head. So Achan, I guess had he repented before those people died, he would have been spared. We know that because God is slow to anger. He's abounding in love. So please, please, please just remember that this was the holiness of God. And we got to think, well, you know, it was just one mistake. This was a big mistake. It cost people their lives. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Drew. I, and I don't think they're in heaven, by the way. Let's go to um, line two. We got Jim in San Marcos, Texas. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you well. Thanks, Jim. Okay. He told me you were, we were going to take, talk after the commercial, but okay. Um, okay. You were talking about Rick Warren, and I generally don't talk about Rick Warren much, but uh, and and I wouldn't say false teacher, but have you ever read have you ever read his gospel presentation in his purpose driven life book um he mentions i don't have i don't have a word for word but he talks he doesn't talk about repentance he talks i mean it's just this little little pretty mediocre sinner's prayer and then welcome to the family of god and it's really very very shallow and I think very dangerous because it can give someone who reads the book a false sense of security. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. Other than that, yeah, I am uh, I know Rick Warren, he had a part in the Celebrate Recovery, the start of that, and they chop off the ends of Colossians 3.16, the part about rebuking and correcting. They don't even, they, they only take half of that verse because they don't like the second half of it. All the celebrate recoveries, they don't want to talk about the second half of Colossians 3.16. So anyway, that's, I just wanted to throw that out, and it just seems like a very shallow gospel presentation to me. Yep, I'll, I'll address that. That's, that's, that's a fair criticism. Jim, a couple of things. Um, I absolutely hate the purpose-driven life. I hate the book. I hate the idea. Uh, our, our life, uh, is, our purpose can only be driven by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our purpose, according to Revelation chapter 4, is to please God. And this concept of, of um, we have to have purpose uh, when we who are Bible students understand that our purpose comes from serving the Lord, doing all things as unto the Lord. So uh, I'll just tell you up front, I, I, I hated the purpose-driven life. 
Um, but it's a book. It's not the Word of God. And while there are things that I would agree with you on in the Purpose Driven Life that are, um, I think, questionable, um, they, they don't deal with the essentials of, of our faith. You know, I think sometimes we take too much on ourselves. We think, well, I think it can easy, too easily mislead people. I don't think it's complete. We, we forget sometimes that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. Not Rick Warren, not Pastor Ron. That God is the author and finisher of our faith. And he's able to make people stand. The truth is out there for all of them. Um, I also have to say that Rick Warren's gospel presentations, whenever I've heard it, and I've probably heard Rick on the radio um, and in person 50 times, I've never seen anything other than a clear presentation of the gospel and the need for Jesus. And I do want to talk about Celebrate Recovery, Jim, so if you stay paying attention until after the the break, I'll I'll talk about that as well. Uh, We've got 30 minutes left to go in our week. We'd love your live calls and questions at 340-9585. You're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Everybody Hates Rick Warren program. Um, you know what? I, 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 I open like that because I, I really want to caution people to be careful. If there's something, and, and Jim did a great job. Jim said, in this book it says this or, or, or this, and I dis- and it's okay to disagree with people. But it's never okay to accuse somebody of being a false teacher or, a, or an unbeliever when, in fact, they hold to the essentials of the historic Christian faith. Whether they're born again or not, it's between them and the Lord. And I've just said about four times on this program today that I know Rick Warren. I know he is a a man who loves Jesus with all of his heart, um, uh, and he doesn't understand the criticism. Um, you don't have to agree with him, but he is a brother, and we've got to treat him like a brother. Unless you can say, this is false teaching, this denies the essentials of the historic Christian faith, then you have no right to accuse or to judge. I already said there's a lot of things that Rick teaches and the way he does it, the system that he uses that that I I I really don't care for, but I've seen the man, I know the heart. Now I also told Jim that I wanted to talk very briefly about the celebrate recovery because that's another thing that I'm not a fan of. You know, a lot of times, especially in our church culture, we've got seeker sensitive churches and that's sort of where Rick was when he started at Saddleback where we just take worldly ideas and repackage them with Christian terms. And we take 12-step groups, we take the basic idea, and we sort of Christianize them up a little bit, and we act like we've done something. I'm not a, a fan. You know, some recovery can be found in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And those who depend on 12-step groups, those who are looking for sort of a Christian package for worldly ideas, really just need to learn their Bibles. They need to really believe, ask God, increase our faith, O Lord. And I think that's a really, really good place to begin when we're really struggling with something. Jesus, help me to believe what you've said to me. And I think it's programs like Celebrate Recovery and so many others with different names, but it's the same idea. I think it demonstrates the, the biblical illiteracy that we have in our church culture. The idea that we're going to have a 20-minute message, we're not going to sit for teaching. We don't want to be convicted. We want to go to church to feel good. Those are the real issues, not the people. 
So again, final word I hope today on Rick Warren. He is a brother in the Lord. And we ought to be really careful how we judge them. 340-9585. Here is a question from our mobile app from Rich. He says, who do you believe Melchizedek is? Melchizedek is one of those mysterious um, people that just appear on the pages of Scripture. He's in and out. I think his name is mentioned four times in Scripture, in Genesis, in Hebrews, and in the Psalms. And I think the mystery is intentional. Uh, I have a very strong opinion that Melchizedek is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Um, at least from my perspective, Rich, um, it's it's unmistakable. Uh, and yet there are people who don't believe in the supernatural who would say, no, Melchizedek was just who he said he was. He was just a, a king of Salem. Um, and and it, it just maybe a, a type of Christ but I believe with all of my heart he was Jesus. I believe because he identified himself as the king of Salem. What's that mean? Prince of Peace? Without beginning and end, with no genealogy. That doesn't mean, as some would suggest, that, well, they just lost the genealogy. Melchizedek was a man that Abraham worshipped. And Abraham would only worship God. Abraham knew. And God appeared at just the right time. Not only that, but we have a whole bunch of pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus on this earth. Before Bethlehem. So, Rich, I, I with all of my heart, I believe that Jesus, or that Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And just like Jesus always does, at just the right time, Abraham needed him, and there he was. So I hope that helps. Here is a question that came in from Yoli. Yoli says, we know Jesus is at the right hand of God. Who is on his left hand? Um, Yoli, God doesn't have hands. This is figurative speech. We have to understand that Jesus said the Father is spirit. That means he doesn't have a physical body. So what what we're being told there is is in, in very figurative, symbolic language, something that's really important. The right hand of God is the power hand. And Jesus is the power of God. So the right hand of God is the power hand. And since he doesn't have another hand, the left hand, there's nobody on his left. So this is figurative speech. And it simply means that Jesus is in that position of authority, that position of power. He's been given the authority to judge. Uh, all power has been given to him, and that's what he's saying. So um, I hope that makes sense to you. Let's go to Buda, Texas, and talk with Calvin on line one. Calvin, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, yes, sir. I, I got a book here called uh, Christian Liars Library and you and Hagee are in there and Warren and Osteen and a bunch of other ponies. <laughs> you, you can get this book online if you want it. Thank you, Galvin. God bless you. <laughs> See, this is yeah, you too. not not a way to not a way to end the week, is it? Oh, three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Henry. Henry says, what does it mean to quench the Holy Spirit, and how can we do it? Well, Henry, we've seen a bunch of Holy Spirit quenching on this program today with people calling in and and uh, accusing the brethren. You know, my Bible says that it's the devil who is the accuser of the brethren. It's not people that say they're believers that are supposed to be accusing the, the brethren. You know, one of these things I would suggest to you that whether it's Calvin or the other guy who calls and keeps changing his name. Um, I would suggest they don't spend one minute praying for these people. And I know that because there's no love in their heart. So quenching the Holy Spirit is being disobedient to God, being disobedient to His Word. 
Henry to grieve the Holy Spirit, to quench the Spirit, it's the same thing. It's to, to engage in willful sin, unrepentant willful sin. It's to demonstrate fruits, the bad fruit of our flesh, instead of the Galatians chapter 5, good fruit of the Spirit. It's to say no to God. It's to be unloving. To be unloving. Think about that for a moment. The Holy Spirit is God. God is love. And so these phone calls, as an example today, are examples of men who don't have the power of God's Spirit living in them. They're the ones who ought to be afraid of their salvation rather than accusing others. So that's just one way. You can walk by sight instead of by faith and quench the Spirit. You can open God's Word and know what God wants you to do and refuse to do it. You're going to quench God's Spirit. So that's what it means. You know, Henry, the one thing that I would like to to add to the question is um, I I always marvel. You know, God is... is, um, omnipotent. Uh, He's all-powerful. There's nothing he can't do. And yet, you and I, we have the power to quench God's Spirit. When Paul says, do not quench the Spirit of God, he says that because we alone can do that with our choices, with our sin. So, Henry, I hope that answers your question. Just don't quench the Spirit. Instead, I yield to the Spirit of God and watch what happens. Ted wants to know, in Genesis chapter 32, who, well, let me, yeah, let me go to a phone call. We got a phone call in the meantime. Uh, Steve from Cedar Park, Texas. Steve, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Um, uh, yeah, tough afternoon on the uh, radio, but <laughs> yeah, I did want to call. <laughs> I did want to call in. Just, uh, I've been listening to you for a few years now, and uh, formerly, you know, been raised in the Catholic Church and um, now, you know, born-again believer. But, uh, you know, listening to you, I've, uh, you know, uh, having to speak with family members about uh, faith and religion, and not religion, but faith, uh, you know, I've, I've finally taken that step over the last six, eight months, and all praise. Uh, my brother uh, has called you a couple times, William. He's been in a dark spot but he's come out of that now and and you know it it was always a little bit hard to talk with family but um you know i would fly out to visit him or or maybe my sister and uh and say you know i've come out here and i wanted to talk about jesus and you know uh how do i do it and the holy spirit always provides that avenue (laughs) and um over the last couple visits, you know, my brother now, he's reading scripture, he's learning, um, he has found a church out in California, and something I never, I never walked into a church that wasn't Catholic until my wife uh, brought me to a church, but he's done it on his own. So, you know, through your inspiration and guidance, you know, all praise and glory goes to Jesus, but listening to you um, and, and stepping out there, talking about faith with family you know i've talked to my father and my sisters and my brother and and the response you know you just give it over to the holy spirit and he takes over so mm-hmm. i want to thank you for that and hopefully end uh your week a little bit better than a couple <laughs> of these calls <laughs> thank you steve i appreciate it very very much you know my skin is pretty thick so i don't take any of this stuff yeah. personally in fact i'll be praying for for calvin and for the others who've called in today um, sure. Uh, just, just because I want, I want people to to know Jesus, I want them to love Jesus and His Word. That's the key. It's His Word. You know, Steve, what you've done by stepping out in faith and, and doing the uncomfortable thing, talking to your family, reminds me of of the end of Romans. We're we're just getting to the very end of Romans. I think we have, including this Sunday, three more studies left before we finish it. But but Paul talks about his relatives who were in Christ before he was. And I always think about 
Those people must have been so ashamed of what Paul, Saul of Tarsus was doing. They must have been so embarrassed, and they must have been moved by the power of the Spirit to pray for this man, Saul of Tarsus. And you never know who you're praying for. And and it's good to hear that William is doing well. He's from San Leandro in the Bay Area, right? Right. That's right, Pastor yeah. Ron. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I, I got a text message from him that he sees joy in his life again. And See, praise the Lord. It brought me to tears. Yeah. And you know, you never know who you're praying for. And the person that you think is the most hopeless case could turn into be an Apostle Paul. You know, the, 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 his relatives praying had no idea that the one they were praying for would be the man that God would use to change the world and turn it right side up for Jesus Christ. Steve, thank you for your kindness. I appreciate it. And may the Lord bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good weekend. Uh-huh. Thank you. I will. Um, you know, I, just so everybody in the audience knows, um, you know, being a pastor and being public as I am, this is part of the territory. It's part of territory. If, if anybody wants to say, well, you taught this and it's contrary to what the Bible says, you're invited to do that. But just if you disagree, well, you better be sure you're standing on good biblical ground. And if there's no love, you have no ground to stand on. Ted wants to know, and this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's been a life Scripture for me. Ted says, in Genesis 32... Who was the man Jacob wrestled with? Ted, Jacob wrestled with Jesus. God was in this place, he said. So this was one of those pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus before the manger. Um, and Jacob wrestled with him all night long. Now, here's the, the, the value of the story and why it means so much to me. Uh, Jacob, I've got a lot of Jacob in me. And as a young believer um, in so much trouble, my life had been such a wreck uh, because of sin. Uh, I was wrestling with God. And I had to get to this point. I read Genesis chapter 32 and, and saw this. And I realized this is one of those times when even before I understood much about Scripture, um, that the Holy Spirit really revealed something to me. All night long, Jacob was wrestling with Jesus. Now, we know Jesus has the power, the infinite power at his disposal. He's God. And yet, Genesis says that the man saw that he couldn't prevail. Well, he could have. He proved that he crippled Jacob's hip. But what he couldn't do was override Jacob's free will. And all night long, Jacob was wrestling with Jesus, trying to get away from him. Jacob was a man who wanted to do the right thing, but he wanted to do it his way. He wanted, to, wanted God to come to him on his terms. And God, of course, doesn't do that. And so what we had to see there was Jacob in the grasp of Jesus trying to get away. Finally, he exhausts Jesus' patience. And just before he does, he touches his hip with such power that Jacob has this epiphany. And the epiphany is... That's the power I'm trying to get away from. And you remember how it ends. At that point, Jesus let go. Well, Jacob held on to him. And Jacob said, I will not let go until you bless me. Ted, I've been saying that every day of my Christian walk since those very, very early days in Christ. Jesus, I will not let go until you bless me. Who wants to get away from that power? And of course, that was Jacob, what we would equate as an Old Testament uh, equivalent of a born-again experience. So uh, he was wrestling with Jesus, uh, and there is zero doubt about that at all. Here is a question from George. He says, will you talk about the constant fundraising that goes on in churches? It's very tiring to always be asked for money when what I want to do is worship God. George, uh, and I don't know if this is our caller George who calls or another George, but uh, I I couldn't agree with you anymore. Uh, it is not only tiring, but it's frustrating. I think it demonstrates terrible, terrible faith when we're always asking people for money. Either a work is from God, it will be supported by God, or it won't. Now, it's not a sin. It's not bad to pass an offering. It's not bad to tell people that 
well, we have these needs or things are tight right now. So if you could be generous, that would be great. But nobody should come to church and sit through two and three and four offerings. Nobody should come to church and leave feeling guilty because they didn't give enough money. Nobody should come to church where the pastor spends more time asking for money than he did teaching God's word. And so this constant fundraising that goes on in churches sickens me. Um, I think we're misrepresenting God to the people that he loves, the people that he's entrusted to us. And I think it not only gets in the way of God's word being taught, but it gets in the way of our genuine, sincere worship of God. George, at our church, and, and the way we do things doesn't mean it's the only right way to do it. But uh, right from the very beginning, before we ever left California to come to Texas almost 23 years ago, um, God made it clear to me that we were never to let our needs be known, nor were we ever to ask for money. We don't even pass an offering plate or a bucket or a bag or anything of that sort here at Calvary Chapel. Now, it's not wrong when other churches do that. But for me, it would be sin. And God has asked me to depend on him for the work that gets done here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. And and there's just so much ministry that happens. And there's so many times when it would be easy for me to ask for people to give because there's always a great need. We never have any money here at Calvary Chapel. We do so much and everything we do here is free that money's always, 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 always an issue. And yet if I would go to the pulpit and say, you know what, we really need you to dig deep. Things are really tight right now. That would be a sin that I personally believe would disqualify me from being the pastor here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. So I agree with you. I apologize for it. Um, but probably find another church if that's descriptive of your church. I wonder, that's another thing that I wonder about from time to time. How are we going to explain to Jesus that we really didn't trust him to provide for us, so we asked people to do it? We do talk about giving here when it comes up in the context of teaching. But for almost 23 years, we've never had a single occasion where we've asked anybody for anything or made him feel guilty about giving. So, hope that answers your question. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, it says, if Agabus was a true prophet and told Paul not to go to Jerusalem, why didn't Paul listen to him? Well, Agabus was clearly a true prophet. Uh, I call him the dramatic prophet, but the Bible identifies him uh, very specifically as a prophet, so there's no question about that. Um, but he didn't tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. What he did was, in a very dramatic way, he said, uh, if you go to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to you. And it was one of those tests, you know, sort of at a crossroads in Paul's life. A prophet approaches you, tells you, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be imprisoned. And you're going to be beaten. It could cause you to end your life. But God tells you to go, that crossroads is who you're going to listen to. I've really wrestled with this passage of Scripture with Agabus because, you know, I, I don't know if my faith is enough if, if God told me to do something and I purposed in my heart like Paul did to do it. And then this prophet, I know he was speaking from the Lord. If he tells me this is what's going to happen, I might be overcome by fear. I hope not. I pray not. But Paul knew who to listen to. It was an amazing statement he makes in the very beginning of the book of Romans. He tells the church at Rome he'd never met them. He'd not been there. He said that I know when I come to you, I will come with the full measure of God's blessing. Well, in Paul's case, the full measure of God's blessing was that he would go to Rome, as God promised, but as a prisoner. Because that trip to Jerusalem did indeed result in Paul being bound and beaten and imprisoned. But Paul knew what God had told him to do, and he did it. That's the kind of stubborn I want to be. 
So he didn't tell him not to go. He just told him what would happen. He said, all I know is that everywhere the Spirit says that danger and hardship awaits me. But what am I going to do? i got to go. That was Paul doing his best Jesus impression. Isaiah chapter 50, speaking of Jesus, said he set his face as flint to go to Jerusalem, knowing what was going to happen. He made a decision that could not be changed. How are we doing the time? We've got about a minute and a half. We've got a quick question here. Reggie wants to know, do Jews go to heaven if they reject Jesus? Uh, Reggie, the answer is nobody goes to heaven if they reject Jesus. Nobody. So no, being Jewish, being born Jewish doesn't get you into the kingdom of God, doesn't get you in heaven. Only Jesus can do that. So it's very important that you understand that. This isn't a um, um, slam against Jews or Israel. It's just the only way heaven is accessible is by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He came to his own and his own received him not. Caiaphas was a Jew. Judas was a Jew. They're not in heaven. But neither is anybody else who rejects Jesus Christ. So Reggie, same thing is true. Since Jesus came, since he brought the good news, everybody Everybody is accountable to believe. There's no other way to heaven. Hey, it's been a good week on the program. Thank you. Uh, quick reminder, no church here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio tonight, so if you tune in to CalvarySA.com, we won't be there tonight. Please pray for our ladies as they close out their retreat tonight and tomorrow morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Thank you for your calls today. Go tell somebody that Jesus loves them. See you on Monday. See you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.